The worst is yet to come. That's the warning from the International Monetary Fund as it paints a grim picture of the global economy. But what's behind this spiralling crisis and what should be done to stop it? I'm Tom McRae and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guests now. In Brussels, we have Daniel Gross, uh, Director of the Centre for European Policy Studies in New Delhi, Mignad Desai, economist and a member of the UK House of Lords. And in Nairobi, Ali Khan Sachu, financial advisor and CEO of Rich Management. A warm welcome to you all. Thank you very much for being uh, on this edition of Inside Story. Daniel, if I can start with you. Uh, you used to work uh, at the IMF. How solid or reliable are these forecasts? I mean, the IMF is always extremely careful. It collects information from all its member countries. It has a superb staff, all the analytical tools. So I think these <coughs> forecasts are as reliable as you can do them right now. But as the IMF also shows in the publication, there's great uncertainty. A little uncertainty above, it might be a little bit better, but also lots of uncertainty below, so it might get worse. That's all what one could say at this point. Economics is not a physical science. There's always a lot of uncertainty. OK, Megna, do you agree with the IMF's grim outlook that the global economy is heading uh, for stormy waters? And how bad do you think things uh, could get? Yes, I... I, I think I not only agree with the IMF uh, downgrading the growth rate, I think it is going to be much more serious than even the IMF realizes because we are seeing a repetition of what we saw in the 1970s. We have an uh, energy price increase, we ha which was preceded by inflationary creation of money. And now we are going to also be in a war situation because of the Russia-Ukraine war. And I think we are facing a long cycle of stagflation. And there's nothing that uh, uh, normal central banking policy can do to avoid a stagflation. All that the central bank can do is to cut aggregate demand. But that is not the answer. So we are going to be in a very tough time. So we just have to and ride I think it out. I am the right to, uh, to warn about that. So, so the global economy just has to ride it out. That's right. It's not just India. It's a global economy, which is going to slow down. Yeah. OK, Ali Khan, the IMF, uh, IMF chief said, of all regions, Africa is in the most precarious position, you know, with a the, with the massive food crisis there. What specifically can the IMF do to alleviate the problems in Africa? Well, I, I think, um, you know, the African situation has been coming at us for quite a while. Um, Africa overborrowed during the good times, you know, when we were in that moment, which lasted more than a decade of Disneyland economics, when money was cheap. And now we've got a situation where the cost of servicing this debt um, has risen inexorably high. For example, Nigeria, 102% of its revenues now are, are, are destined for debt service, clearly an unsustainable position. So I think Africa is going to rely very heavily on the likes of the IMF and the World Bank, but it's going to take a lot of uh, money to uh, rebalance the situation. 
just to go back to what both your earlier speakers were saying, um, you know, what we have now is a very strong dollar. It's highly likely the euro goes back to record lows. It's highly likely the dollar-yen goes to something like 160. And this is going to put immense pressure on emerging and frontier market economies. And I think, therefore, these economies are essentially going to be looking for debt restructuring and debt rescheduling. But because of the nature of this crisis, which is a polycrisis, and it's got cascade effects, you know, it's first come, first served. So in Africa, Zambia, Hichilema, first out of the gate, he's going to resolve the matter, hopefully. But others, I think, are going to be really left in the dust here. Which countries are you talking about specifically? Well, I'm talking specifically about countries like uh, uh, Nigeria. I'm talking about uh, which just simply, you know, the political uh, class really haven't got a handle on things. But this is a problem we're seeing in many other places around the world. It's not just a phenomena we're seeing in Africa. You see the Trust and Kwarteng show. I mean, these people are not competent. Um, and in Africa, we've got plenty of policymakers who I think are, are not on top of the situation. So Zambia is a, a positive example. Um, Egypt uh, has a lot of support from in international institutions and deep-pocketed Gulf allies. But, you know, if you look at places like Ethiopia fighting a civil war, essentially with a billion dollars of reserves, it's, it's broke. Uh, they're continuing this existential battle. And there are so many cases like that across the continent. But, you know, you started your show with Lebanon. And let me say this. It strikes me that Europe is not much different to Lebanon. It had leverage from Russia in terms of its gas supplies, $20 billion of gas, supported a 2 trillion euro economy in Germany. That's more leverage than Lehman. And I think by December, what we're seeing in Lebanon will be replicated in many capitals around Europe, I'm afraid. So it's a very, very big problem. I don't think the majority of policymakers have truly understood the scale of the issue. Daniel, I uh, see you smiling along there. Is that something that you agree with, that we're going to see, uh, you know, the, what's happened in, in Lebanon happening in, uh, in, in some uh, other Euro European countries? It is true that uh, Europe uh, must pay a price, and a heavy price, for its over-reliance on Russian gas. But, uh, if I may say so, uh, Europe is a little bit better governed uh, than Lebanon. Uh, we have constant squabbles among our member states, but in the end, they usually agree on a common line, and that seems to be the case also now. European, most many European countries already have saved a lot of gas. The price for consumers has increased, and it is good so, because therefore further gas savings will be forthcoming. And therefore, I'm quite confident uh, that uh, Europe will be able to pull through this winter. Not easily. There will be problems, but we all know that these are temporary problems. And in the end, Europe has also a very strong industrial base. Our exporters have been able also to increase their price. So there's some offset to the high gas prices. And overall, I think uh, Europe will come through it with a recession in between. But in one year from now, I think the recession should be behind us in Europe. OK, can we just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the real people, um, if I can put it that way, the, the people on the street. We're seeing, you know, everyone right around the world paying more for power, more for food, 
uh, more on their mortgages. Basically, everything is getting more expensive. Now, there'll be plenty of people watching this wondering how much worse it's going to get. Um, Mignad, how, uh, when do you think there will be some relief? Will it be in a year's time? The, the thing is that uh, uh, we can't take a short-run perspective on this problem. This problem is not going to go away anytime soon because this, what uh, what is previous speaker said about Europe, Europe will be slightly better off than Middle Eastern countries or African countries. But everybody is going to be in a serious stagflation situation. Only countries which, which are the producers of energy and can deliver energy to people who are in demanding uh, position, they are the only ones who are going to save uh, themselves. The rest of the world is going to suffer a severe stagflation, as I keep on saying. And all that the central banks will do is to make the recession worse. That is what the Federal Reserve is doing by making the dollar strong. It's going to uh, ruin the situation in U.S. and everywhere else. Unfortunately, we haven't found a way of fighting inflation without causing recession. And that is where the problem lies. And I'm actually very much a part of that, uh, that uh, solution. OK. Ali Khan, you mentioned uh, a little while ago uh, debt. And 60% uh, of low-income countries are now at high risk or already in debt distress. That's according to the IMF. Um, obviously, many poor countries are going to face major economic disruption and potentially default on that debt. How big a risk is that, do you think? How likely is it to happen? Oh, it's entirely likely to happen. You're looking at, we're looking, the IMF is looking at the following metric. They're looking at debt versus GDP uh, and, and, and looking at that metric. Really, the number you've got to look at is debt service versus revenues. And in so many countries, the debt service number is now higher than the total government revenue number. So, it's the, so basically, these balance sheets are shot to bits. Um, and, uh, and unless there is enormous debt forgiveness, um, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an unsustainable situation. The freight train, we can see the lights, we're in the tunnel and it's coming at a tremendous speed. And there's no way of sidestepping it unless um, uh, countries, uh, are, you know, unless the likes of the IMF, the big creditors, uh, go through a massive round of debt forgiveness... Uh, and look at restructuring these balance sheets a little bit like they did under Nicholas Brady and the Brady Plan when Latin America overborrowed all those years ago. Uh, your previous speaker was speaking about energy. I don't think it's just energy. It's a, you know, you can't print energy and food. Mm -hmm. And those countries that have energy and food, and ironically, counterintuitively, it's Russia and the US. They are the most, they're the strongest economies in the current scenario. If you can't, if you can't print those things, and this is the European challenge, unfortunately, amongst other countries' uh, challenges. So I don't see cost of living relief coming anytime soon. We have a Mickey Mouse monetary policy. Who has been able to bring inflation down when inflation is 8.2% in the US with interest rates below 4? I've never seen it happen. It's not going to work. You've got to get interest rates much higher and that's the only way you're going to bring inflation down and the cost of living. Until we have that happen, the cost of living will continue to increase. And it puts undue pressure on people at the bottom of the pyramid who experience much more of that pressure. OK, I'd like to keep talking about policy um, for a little bit, Daniel. 
the IMF chief said politicians have to avoid any policy missteps and have to act, act urgently. What exactly do you want to see those in power do and, and uh, how fast do they need to act? So we don't see any more uh, Mickey Mouse uh, like um, uh, Ali Khan just mentioned. Of course, it depends on what country in the world you're talking about. The United States is relatively sitting pretty. Um, it has enough uh, oil and gas uh, to keep its own economy afloat. So for its uh, <clears throat> own good, it will just keep inflation down. And that will require a strong dollar for a time. In Europe, what we have to do is to combine two things. We have to give people incentives to save on gas and energy in general. That means high prices. But we also help, have to help our poorer ones to support themselves and to be able to pay those prices. And that's, for example, being done right now in Germany, where people get a certain base amount of energy for free. And for the rest, they have, market, have to pay the market price so that uh, they are, have actually incentive to, uh, to save. Now, Africa is, of course, a very different story. But again, in Africa, one might ask, Nigeria is a country which is a big exporter of energy, of petrol, of crude oil. And the crude oil price is currently very high. Why is uh, Nigeria not doing very well right now? So these are really very serious internal governance problems that people have beforehand. And I think these are the most urgent ones that have to be addressed in Africa, of course, along with fiscal policy, but one without the other will not work. OK, obviously, the, the war in Ukraine is exacerbating uh, all of these issues. Um, the IMF laid out uh, a whole lot of challenges, but basically said inflation is the top priority. Ali Khan, do you think it can be tamed, inflation that is, while the war in Ukraine is still going on? Do you think the war has to end before inflation uh, can be brought under control? I, I think particularly for Europe, where, you know, German inflation, for example, has hit a 40-year high. Until uh, that situation resolves itself um, and the supply of not only gas, oil, uh, the Europeans now want to sanction Russian oil or put a price cap on it, you know, it is a boomerang effect. It, it, it defeats me how the European policymakers pursue this sanction policy, which is uh, uh, boomeranging and hitting their economy three, four times as hard as it's hitting the intended, uh, the, the, the intended adversary. Um, so, look, until that relaxes, inflation won't relax in Europe in particular and, uh, uh, and globally as well. But what, what we really have, the biggest problem here, you know, I traded short-term interest rates, uh, I, I've never seen a lag between interest, uh, between policy rates and inflation rates that we currently have. The Germans, for example, had a bank called the Bundesbank. I mean, interest rates in Germany at this point in time, if the Bundesbank were in control, would be at 12 percent. And essentially, it, it would break the back of the inflationary problem. But we don't live in those times. We live in a time of still fantasy economics. Um, uh, where people still think they can print uh, all kinds of commodities, which they can't. Daniel, is there any country that we can look to now that's doing a good job, that we can go, that's the way to, to handle this crisis? Um, yes, you might look, for example, at the Nordic countries, uh, which have been very careful with their energy supplies. Uh, they have insulated their homes. They actually are doing quite well under these circumstances. Switzerland is another country which is noticed, <coughs> noted 
uh, for its tight fiscal and monetary policies. But even with Switzerland, you have seen price increases. So one thing is you cannot avoid all the price increases. And the other thing is if you have a strong domestic uh, governance, then you can uh, actually minimize the effect. But let me add one thing. It is not necessary for the Ukrainian war to finish for inflation to come down in Europe. It is sufficient that energy prices just stabilize at the very high level at which they are right now. And then inflation on its own will come down because there will be no further increases in energy prices. And that would be enough for Europe uh, to see inflation coming down to acceptable levels in one or two years. So Europe can pull through even if the war continues for a long time. Okay, Eli Khan, do you think that um, the poor are going to be unduly hit through this crisis, that they, they're the ones that are going to be worst off, that inequality is, is just going to grow even further from here? So that's been one of the trends that we've seen over the last uh, 12 to 18 months, significant increases in inequality, more people being put into poverty. And I'm afraid that trend is amplifying uh, as, as the global economy softens. Um, and of course, you know, if you take somewhere like Africa, the, the average individual is spending up to 40% of their income on food. And therefore, increases in food prices have a much more severe effect on, 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 a, on the income and spending power of those people. So, you know, I don't want to be a, a, a terrible pessimist, but I'm really concerned. And I think that's why this whole social safety net idea really has to be rolled out um, for the most uh, needy people across the globe. And I think, you know, this is the moment when you really have to put those sorts of programs and safety nets into place. Daniel, is there a uh, is there a silver lining here? As we talked about the, the train coming towards us and the tunnel with the lights on, uh, is there any light at the end of the tunnel? I think the current uh, trends uh, in energy markets are actually reassuring. The gas price has almost halved over the last uh, two months. Uh, the oil price is coming slightly down, although OPEC has decided to reduce its production. So I think uh, we might be headed actually in the winter where oil prices moderate, even though the war continues, and that will take off some pressure on inflation that might also allow the Federal Reserve to a little bit soften up and therefore to the dollar to return to more manageable level uh, for uh, many emerging markets. So that is the good scenario. OK, well, that's at least something. Just before we go, I'd like to ask you both this question. Um, we'll start with you, Ali Khan. Do you think that the IMF uh, is still relevant in this day and age with a crisis this large? Absolutely. I think it's more relevant than ever. I mean, the question then becomes, well, is it going to be, is it being effective? You know, the, the need for an organisation like the IMF at this moment in time is massive. Everybody needs the IMF as far as I can see. Um, uh, but the question is, are they, had they got sufficient resources to apply at this time, at this moment in time? And are they applying those resources effectively? But definitely, you know, the, the institution is required, as is the World Bank. This is the very time that these institutions are needed, the, the moment we find ourselves in. Okay, Daniel, the same question to you. Well, I guess, does the IMF have the sufficient resources to deal with this, do you think? Yeah, it's true. If the IMF didn't exist today, we would have to invent it. And I think it has resources, uh, enough resources, 
because the countries which need uh, financing are typically uh, poorer countries uh, whose financial needs are not that large compared to the resources of the industrialized countries and therefore of the IMF. And therefore, I think it's not a question of resources. It's a question of uh, what the IMF can do at this point. If in these countries, the governments stay as corrupt as they have been in the past, because that is what brought these countries to the point at which they are right now. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you both so very much. That is uh, Daniel uh, Gross uh, in Brussels for us uh, and Ali Khan Satu. And earlier we uh, spoke to Meghnad Desai. Thank you uh, very much for being on the programme. Well, that's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohammed Al Archi, Nihad Al Abidi, Abdurrahman Wasami, and Jimmy Gedahun. Studio sound was by Ranjit Kurian. The program was edited by Alexander Kohler, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Friday. Thank you.